Welcome to Expert Views on ADR EVA, a podcast about simplifying the traditional African method of settling disputes or appropriate dispute resolution ADR in a bid to attract more users to settle their disputes or conflicts with these alternatives, mediation, arbitration, negotiation, conciliation, and early neutral evaluation. Oh, my name is Chinwe Ebunike, postdoctoral fellow at the University of Brighton, United Kingdom, and a fellow of the American Bar Association section of this pre-resolution mediation committee. I am delighted to welcome Professor Kevin Skoda to the EVA show. He is a collaborative attorney, mediator, writer, trainer, and founder of the Seattle Collaborative Law Center, PLLC, based in Seattle in Washington. He is a board member of International Academy of Collaborative Professionals and past president of Washington State Statewide Collaborative Organization, the Collaborative Professionals of Washington. Kevin's, Kevin wears many hats, so I've left the links to his profile below. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Thank you so very much. I'm so honored that you agreed to you know, come on the show and speak about collaborative law. Yeah, thank you for having me. And I noticed on your your slide that you don't have collaborative law as one of the dispute yes! resolution processes. Um, so. Don't worry, after the show, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to add it. Thanks. Thank you. So, um, so without further ado, the first question is: What is collaborative law and its impact so far in the United States, precisely in, in Washington? So in uh, collaborative law is a dispute resolution process where each party is represented by an attorney and the parties sign a contract called a participation contract. And the keys to this contract are we as attorneys, you know, yeah. around the world, we have ethical obligations and rules of professional conduct that govern our practice. Yeah. And, you know, they say what we can and cannot do as lawyers in the collaborative process, we're modifying those rules of professional conduct to break down the barriers that in a traditional way of practicing law, you know, create barriers to a resolution of a conflict. Yeah. So the participation contract, you know, commits everyone to good faith negotiation full transparency, full exchange of information. Yeah. We waive the rules of discovery. So there's no interrogatories, no depositions, no yeah. subpoenas. And the other key to the participation agreement is that the attorneys are disqualified from working with either party outside of the collaborative process. Hmm. So um, in the collaborative process, everyone is saying we are not going to go to court. Mm -hmm. to have a third party make any decision whatsoever yeah. regarding our conflict. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to trust the process yeah. and, you know, get the information we need to make decisions. Um, so that's the, that's the starting point for a collaborative that's process. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I do, I do a lot of work in the um, marital arena. So uh, in divorces. So, you know, I like to talk about, you know, there's three areas when couples uncouple, yeah. um, you know, one of them is the emotional aspect of, yeah. you know, a marriage not yeah. working out the way you thought it would. Mm -hmm. um, there is a 
financial uncoupling. How do you untangle our finances? Because yeah. we've made joint decisions. And third is the legal aspect, because mm-hmm. here in the state of Washington, divorce is, you know, a legal aspect. So we bring in experts for the couple in dispute to help with those other areas of uncoupling. So we bring in a coach, a mental health professional uh, to help with the emotional uncoupling. And if there are children involved, the coach is really taking the lead on putting together the parenting plan with with the parent. We bring a neutral financial person in um, because in a traditional uh, litigation setting, oftentimes the couple will each hire their own financial person and put them into their war chest and have that financial person, you know, take positions as to what is good outcomes. But in the collaborative setting, we use one neutral financial professional to gather all the financial records. Uh, And then each person has their own attorney, you know, to help them understand the law, understand uh, the process. So uh, here in the state of Washington, Collaborative practice really has taken off um, since, uh, you know, I took my initial collaborative training in 2008, mm-hmm. but the original collaborative training happened in around 2002, so mm-hmm. over over 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I stopped litigating in 2010, yeah. you know, so all of my work is mediation, collaboration, you know, um, client-focused, out-of-court dispute resolution work. Hmm. Right, and thank you so very much. So uh, I have two questions, like, um, about the cost aspect and time as well. So let's start with time, okay? Hmm. Because, yeah. a, you know, I've done over 200 collaborative cases, and, and I collect data. Yeah, I know you're a PhD, you you did your PhD studies. Data is great because it helps parties make informed decisions as to which dispute resolution process to choose. Mm -hmm. So a typical collaborative case on average is going to last four to eight months. And the number of meetings, we do two hour meetings periodic on a periodic basis. you know, so it takes about about that four to eight months of time. It's about four uh, four to six meetings, team meetings, to work a case from the start to resolution. In ter- terms of cost, it a lot of it is dependent on the ability of the clients to do their homework. Yeah. Okay. If you have, if the lawyer is, if I, as the one of the attorneys in the process, mm-hmm. have to always remind my client, you know, hey, look at you got to get the financial stuff in. Hey, you have to work with the coach. Hey, you know, um, then the process gets more expensive. Um, so, in terms of, I mean, how can I, I tell you about costs? Because you know. A certain a, a dollar amount here in Seattle, Washington, is going to be different than a dollar amount in London yeah. or Nigeria, Nigeria yeah. or Cape Town. Yeah. Okay. So, what I'm trying to um, 
um, get is what what is there any are there any differences or similarities like um, within between mediation and collaborative law? Um, because you find that in mediation is cheaper, you know, to settle via mediation. So that's what I'm trying to get from you. You know, I would I would guess that you know mediation is going to be less expensive. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Because there are less professionals involved. Yeah. The thing is, is that one of the things about collaborative practice, and I think any lawyer has an obligation to assess their client or assess the parties for the suitability of the process. Because mediation doesn't work for everyone. You know, oftentimes as mediators in our room, there is an imbalance of power or there's an unwillingness to share information. And people are making decisions simply to get done and not looking for a quality result or a durable result, right? So let's let's talk about durable resolutions, okay? Because in mediation, oftentimes people give up. They say, mm -hmm. you know, look at, I'm just gonna sign off because I'm done with you, you know? Um, the other thing about mediation is, you know, do the, are the parties working with attorneys or not working with attorneys, right? Because if I, as a mediator, am working with parties who, you know, here in the state of Washington, we always recommend they go get attorneys because we as mediators, as you know, can't give legal advice. So what happens is I will help craft a resolution with the parties and then they go to the attorneys and the attorneys blow up the agreement hmm. and they say, oh, I could have done better for you. I can do better for you. You know, give me a few thousand dollars and, you know, I can get you a better result. And it creates conflict. So there's the direct correlation between attorneys creating conflict and increased fees to the party. So in the collaborative process, because of the disqualification provision, Right, the attorneys are disqualified if they uh, if there's not a resolution. The attorneys have no interest whatsoever in blowing up the agreement. So taking unreasonable positions or advocating for your client in a manner that pushes the other party away mm -hmm. that creates conflict. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, you're going to get a lot more durable agreements in the collaborative process than you will in the mediation process, especially in the family law setting, you know, because we, we talk about couples, parents creating a legacy for the children because you're always a family. You may be a two home family as opposed to a one home family, but you're always going to be a family. So the children are going to be happier, healthy humans if their parents are able to be in the same room with each other, you know, for high school graduation, marriages, birth of children, et, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. Oh, so, and thank you so very much. So the similarities I, I, I can, I can say is um, the part of peace building. It is. There, yeah. there is an element of, of, you know, it's like I showed you my button and my mug. You know, my, my mantra every day is peacemaking, let it begin with me. Okay, because, you know, I was trained to be a warrior in, in law school. 
Um, and I realized that that was not the best way, you know, to help make the world a better place, to spread, you know, to create less conflict uh, in the world. So what I realized as an attorney here in Seattle, Washington, yeah. is it's not about me. It's about the clients. You know, we all walk in the world with different ideas of fairness, right? We, I think we all want to be treated fairly and feel like a result is fair. And so it's not about my idea of fairness. You know, it's about finding out from the clients, you know, do they, do they have a rights-based? Do they say, do they believe that whatever the law is, that's their idea of fair? Maybe their, maybe their idea of fair is faith-based, you know, that whatever God says, whatever the great spirit, Mother Earth says, that's what I think is fair. Yeah. Another, another is needs-based. Some people think, you know, that person needs more or I need more. Yeah. And that's, that's what I would like to see happen. And the fourth mm -hmm. one is equity. Mm -hmm. Equity is when I see it, I'll know what it is. So the courts don't operate that way, mm. right? But we as collaborative practitioners or peacemakers can help the clients identify mm -hmm. their own sense of fairness and help them create their own law. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And if it's, if they're creating their own law as to how to divide assets or put together a parenting plan, they're more likely to be willing to, number one, stay out of court in the future because they're happy with the resolution. So they're going to have a reduction of fees because they're not in conflict, you know, in the future, yeah. Yeah. you know, and, and it's just a more durable resolution. Mm -hmm. Okay. So thank you, sir, so very much. So um, the similarities would be compromise, concession, cost effectiveness, and time factor as well, which is lesser than it is in the traditional litigation. And so, that was a very that was a very good summary, and and I think <laughs> the the other the other concept that's really important is self actualization and self realization. Hmm. You know, for for our clients. Yeah. is let's let's let them shine in whatever dispute resolution process they choose yeah. as opposed to impose an outside judgment on them okay thank you so very much so um like we have um the like transformative mediation facilitative is there any model with um collaborative in collaborative law that you can use so can you ask that question again? You know, we have um, directive uh, models of uh, mediating that's facilitative, directive, yeah. uh, you know, where you have, um, you, you assist, you, your job is just to assist the parties, that's a facilitative and directive, you can as well um, give your own opinion and um, amongst others. Is there any uh, model associated with collabor collaborative law? That's a wonderful question, too, because <laughs> I, I believe, and this is my personal belief, and, yeah. I, and I think, you know, Stu Webb, the founder of Collaborative Practice, I think David is this way, is yeah. we use a facilitative approach in the collaborative model, mm. okay? We, yeah. we facilitate dialogue. We, uh, you know, support 
you know, non-judgments, you know, um, listening, active listening, you know, and helping the clients listen to each other. Um, and so we stay facilitative in way as long as we can. Hmm. Okay. Some, you know, we have an ethical obligation as lawyers, though, which doesn't go away in the collaborative dispute resolution process of letting our clients know whether the resolution they reach is within the ballpark of what we think would happen for them in court. Okay, so that's more directive. And sometimes, you know, clients in the collaborative model will get to the place where they say, what would a court do? Hmm. You know, what does the law say? But then what happens, Shinwei, which is different from, you know, litigative mediation model <laughs> with lawyers, is that conversation happens in a team meeting. So if, if you are working with the husband, I'm working with the, the wife, yeah. and they and you and I say, hey, the clients want to hear what the law is on spousal maintenance or what the law or what a likely outcome is. I wouldn't talk to my client outside of a team meeting, you know, and you wouldn't talk to your client outside the team meeting, because if you tell your client outside a team meeting what a likely outcome is, hmm. you know, they get positioned. Okay. And if I tell my, so you tell your client, this ABC is going to happen. And I tell my client XYZ is going to happen. They're going to be polar opposite and positioned. Okay. So yeah. the, the conversation about likely outcomes and results is all done at a team meeting. So we're mm. there with both clients. And then we would say, hey, Chinway, go ahead and, you know, what do you think is a likely outcome or what's the law on property division and spousal support? Because I want my client to hear from you okay. and you want your client to hear from me. Mm -hmm. So what's interesting, though, is when we do that in the collaborative model, the attorneys are basically saying the same thing. Hmm. You know, we we can't tell you exactly what a court is going to do because yeah. it depends on the, the implicit bias of the judge or the arbitrator who's making the decision for you. Mm -hmm. We don't know if they've had lunch or not had lunch. We don't know if they're tired or, you know, or yeah. awake and they've had their or whether they, you know, have to go to the restroom, yeah. you know, so, <laughs> you know. We so we give them the ballpark. So it's a it's a great way to not to meet our ethical obligations to our clients, okay. but also not creating conflict. You don't mm -hmm. you don't want to create a bonfire because then you talked about costs earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Then fees go up. All right. Well, thank you so very much. I you talked about you mentioned Steve Webb. I was about asking about the history of color. Is there any history to collaborative law? Oh, there is. You Thank know, you. and the, the interesting thing is, you know, um, people talking with each other. Yeah. And and coming to resolution, it goes back to at the first people, the first nation of yeah. people. Yeah. You know, it's like when there used to be conflict, you know, groups of people would come together and, you know, and talk to each other, you know, um, 
And so law has separated that. They said, you know, first of all, we have to separate our clients. They're in conflict. They shouldn't talk to each other. Lawyers can't talk to the other party. They have to go through the lawyers. So all of a sudden, the lawyers become the mouthpiece, right? So what happened in Minnesota, you know, back in 1990, Stu Webb was uh, an attorney who was just fed up with the legal system. And he came up with this idea of collaborative law. And he wrote a letter to um, the Supreme Court, one of his Supreme Court justice friends that he knew. And he said, hey, what would happen if the two lawyers and two parties, instead of fighting in the court and filing motions and doing depositions, all sat in the same room together? Mm. Okay, and just came and did a facilitated settlement negotiation. And so he was in Minnesota here in the United States, which is in northern middle of the country. And so he started that practice. Now, interestingly, at the same time, on uh, the West Coast in San Francisco, there there were two women one by the name of Pauline Tesler, one by the name of Peggy Thompson, who said, you know what, we are going to start, they started doing it on their own. Yeah. But their twist was to add the the mental health professional. Peggy Thompson was a mental health professional. Because, you know, as I talked about earlier, the emotional uncoupling of the parties, their thought was if you could address the emotional uncoupling, it would reduce conflict. Hmm. Okay, so they started using an interdisciplinary approach. So when Stu Webb met Pauline Tesler and Peggy Thompson, it was like, holy smokes, the world is our oyster, you know, and, you know, the and collaborative practice was born, basically, or, or I would say reborn, you know, because they've been, you know, this is the way you know, the, the First Nations start, you know, would resolve conflict. Conflict. All right. Thank you so very much. Um, I think we have okay, nine more minutes to go. So what are the aims and, oh, sorry, aims and objectives of the Seattle Collaborative Law Center? But before that, um, just a quick summary, what cases or matters can be settled um, via collaborative law? So collaborative law here in the state of Washington can be applied to any disputes. Oh, okay, good. Okay, so we're not, we have a statute, the Uniform Collaborative Law Act, yeah. hmm. okay, that that apply, that sets out, and it's, it's RCW 7.77, if anyone wants to look up uh, our Uniform Collaborative Law Act. Okay. It, you know, uh, just sets the standard of how to address any conflict. So I use it in family law settings, but I also use it in probates, which is when someone passes away. Okay. Sometimes and oftentimes the heirs are very sad and distraught and there are conflicts about things about the estate, who gives, gets what thing. So we use a collaborative law approach to meet with the family. We bring them all into one meeting, one room. Okay, to, um, you know, help address the conflict. 
Okay. But it, but it it can be used in neighbor disputes. Hmm. You know, boundary line questions. Mm -hmm. It can be used in employer employee relations. You know, um, it can be used in business disputes. Um, You know, Mark Sheridan in New York um, is a big uh, civil collaborative law trainer and Mm -hmm. practitioner. Okay. Um, and there is, you know, I, as you said in your opening, I am a member of the International Academy of Collaborative Professionals and a board yeah. member, but I'm also a board member of the Civil Collaborative Organization, which is the Global Collaborative Law Council, GCLC. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is used in, in both, you know, family law matters and civil matters. Okay. And thank you so very much. So the the what are the aims and objectives of the um Saital um collaborative law center? Okay. Now this is just between you and me, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. My 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 aim, you know, is to change the way law is practiced in yeah. my part of the world. Um, you know, I just you know, coming out of law school and doing 21, 22 years of litigation, um, I just felt it's not the way to handle conflict, you know. So I spend a lot of time, you know, interacting with litigators, interacting with, you know, other dispute resolution professionals to model a way of practicing law that puts our clients first and empowers them to make decisions. So not uh, not all cases are collaborative, right? Not, not all couples are suitable for the process. Not all couples are suitable for mediation even, okay? I will work on, I have a no litigation retainer agreement with my clients, so they know I don't do contested hearings. They know I don't do trials. So, so if, if I have a case where it's not collaborative, it's not mediation, you know, Chinway, you're working with the other party, yeah. I will call you up and I'll say, hey, Chinway, you and I have a case together. Yeah. You know, how would you like to go ahead and have have a meeting? I'll come over, you know, my client and I will come over to your office and let's go ahead and save these people some money so we don't have to file motions, you know, or take depositions or set interrogatories. And so we would meet as a four-way and the parties meet the attorneys, realize we're not dragons, you know, that we're not really evil. We're just human beings doing our job, you know, but then we get onto the same page. How can we guys save you money? How can we put your kids first? How can we get you guys the information? So we, we commit to a full exchange of information without even using the collaborative or mediation models. So I'm trying to model a behavior, a way to practice law mm-hmm. that opens people's eyes and experience to different ways of resolving conflict. Thank you so very much. So final question, we're running out of time. Is um, What is your advice for potential users and, and people pursuing a, collab- um, a career in collaborative law? Can you ask that again, Chinway? Your advice, what is your advice for people pursuing a career uh, in collaborative law and potential users? So professionals 
I really encourage you to take a collaborative law training, training. and okay. you know, okay. become, you know, there's an introductory training. Okay. One of, you know, ICP has a set of standards and ethics, which oh. they really um, want you to take mediation training too. So I've taken an introductory collaborative training and many other advanced collaborative trainings, but I have taken four or five mediation trainings, which are like week-long mediation trainings because the skills we learn as mediators um, are really valuable in the collaborative process, okay, as we use a facilitative approach to help the client get to a resolution. Okay, so, um, you know, as to, you know, and I, I want you to know that my, my income increased 35% when I stopped oh. litigating. Okay, oh, when I just started doing peacemaking work, hmm. you know, the big thing was I wasn't having to write off client bills, because they weren't into me for too, you know, as much money as litigation clients were. Yeah. So my, my receivables went from like 70% to 99%. Mm. You know, I don't, I don't really have accounts receivables because yeah. people are happy with their work. Yeah. As to using, you know, getting our clients to say, you know what, I'm interested in this collaborative process. It's important for us as practitioners to be able to talk to the potentially, potential new clients yeah. on all areas of dispute. Don't use alternative, okay? You're in conflict. Yeah. There are a bunch of dispute resolution processes that are available to you to choose. I have handouts that I educate the clients with, you know, that go from a kitchen table, just them sitting down, you know, and talking it out, a do-it-yourself, mediation, collaboration, arbitration, litigation, you know, mm -hmm. and... It's learning as practitioners that when we're talking to new potential new clients to help them identify where it is they want to go and then, and only then, choosing the dispute resolution process that's most likely to get them to that place. And taking that approach, the vast majority of people I talk with are choosing the collaborative process. Oh, okay. oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for your thought-provoking insights on collaborative law. I don't even want um, the uh, the section to end, but I mean, we have to go because of time. All right. Thank you so very much once again. One minute remaining. And um, yeah, um, I would, um, of course, be inviting more people to speak about collaborative law because, I mean, the, the all the benefits associated with um, collaborative law is... Um, Awesome. So thank you so very much, Kevin, for coming on the show. And yeah, bye-bye. Take care. Chinway, thank you very much. Feel free to have people contact me if they have okay. more questions. Okay, no worries. Thank you. Bye. Yes. <laughs>